1: Just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic point, avoid this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailor, man, skipper, brave, and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour
2: tour. A three-hour tour.
1: Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses your stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. Today's topic, in the beginning. We know everyone obsesses about how to start a story, and we know how important it is to draw readers in. So this conversation is all about how to get things started. First, we're going to talk about Lane's list. The five things you need to know before you start writing. These are five things she always knows before she starts writing, right? So you break it down, right? Let's walk through them.
2: Yeah. So this is after the reporting part,
1: right? Right. After the reporting, while you're doing your dishes and doing your laundry and before you sit down to write, no, this this, this (laughs) is your, this is your catalog of kind of what you have. These are the puzzle pieces, right? Basically, you're putting them together. Okay. So you talk about, you always think about scenes.
2: Yeah, I usually like to make a list of what scenes I have, um, like actually like in the kitchen, on the porch, in the car, at the courthouse, whatever, and, and that helps me figure out like what did I witness, what can I recreate, um, and what's overlap a lot of times. You know, like we spent a year in drug court and we had 50 different scenes in drug court, right. so I knew I didn't want to go to more than one or two of those. Um, And then I kind of try to evaluate them like is this scene about action is this scene about introspection Um, is this a scene where I can plug some internal dialogue about what was the character thinking or worrying about or feeling so I kind of just, you know, make a one or two word title for what the scene is or where it is and then another line or so underneath it about what does it accomplish, you know,
1: and it won't necessarily be the beginning, but you're just saying it, it might be an option for a beginning. But you just want to know which ones you have. Right, to get me started. And somehow,
2: sometimes that helps me figure out like, not only where to open, but where to end, you know, h- how you can bookend things like that, too. And I want to split up a lot of times. You know, I really want my story to be like a scene and then information, and then a scene and then information. So I have to figure out not only where I start, but what scenes can I dive into more deeply that would I, can actually be uh, moments
1: you said um, the other thing you really want to know before you start writing is what the, what is the question that readers will want to know? So basically, what's going to drive you through this story, right? Yeah, and,
2: the, the engine of, of the stories is one. I want to kind of distill it down to one question that people are going to want to
1: follow. Because that helps you figure out your beginning. If Absolutely. you know, right, So here you're talking about did the boy get the girl? Did the dog find his way home? Will they solve the murder? So if you know there's going to be this underlying, what's the question that's going to drive me? then where do I start? Where It helps you to think through where you might start, right?
2: And and not necessarily even the very first paragraph or the lead, but where is that opening section going to end? You know, by the end of that opening section, I want the question to be planted in the reader's minds.
1: You say you want to know where the climax or the turning point is.
2: Yeah, um, so after I know what the question is, you know, you have to kind of know that first, right? Then Then I can figure out what's the high point. Um, I had one editor a while ago who would talk about you should start your story as close to the climax as you can, like start as close which to the one end, option. and then move back, which right. is definitely an option. Then I always consider that, like, where where was this moment of insight? When is the resolution gonna gonna happen? Does someone end up accepting something? Are they left hanging, you know, without an answer to something? Right. Um, and so I, I think once I know what the question is, I can back up into that question and say, where do I want to drop that?
1: Right, you know, at the reader. You say you, you want to know, that one of the things you want to know, one of the five things you want to know is what the story is really about. Which means, and I know we've talked about this in other, other podcasts, but it's not just about this particular individual or this particular episode or whatever. This is often where you come in, Maria.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually have an idea of three or four different things that the story is really about. Like what's the universal theme or the one-word theme or the thing that, you know, even if you've never been on a little Coast Guard cutter in Normandy, what can you relate to after right. this story? And and I I usually err with having a few examples, and then I love talking it through with you, like figuring that out together before I start writing. Um, it really focuses my uh, ability to deliver that.
1: And then you say you want to know where it, where it ends. Where's the story going to end?
2: Yeah, I, I don't exactly know the ending all the time, but I want to know kind of where it's going to end because... I, that helps me figure out where to start. Actually, right. you know, and of course, the easiest thing is the day in the life. Like, you start when they wake up in the morning, you end when they go to bed, or you start when they go to bed and you end when they wake up or something. But I, I just ha- want to have an idea of of like where where is I, am I going to jump off on this? You know, it's it's so easy, and I think we've talked about this before. But like to fall back on a quote and just let some stupid summary quote from your character. Peter off into nothingness, you know. Um, but I think forcing yourself to think about where it's going to end, even if you don't know how it's going to end, helps alleviate that problem. Like Kelly Benham who used to sit next to me. Kelly Benham French is a teacher at a, a professor at Indiana University now. She used to give me such a hard time about endings because she said that's the most important part of the story. I mean. Amen, Kelly. Amen. <laughs> and I never thought about it like that. Like the opening, I always worked so extra hard on the opening because I felt like if you don't get them in, you know, but it she was like, the end, yeah. yeah, if you, she's like, if you, you have someone who actually reads your whole damn story to the end, you owe them a treat, a payoff, something th- that says, oh my God, I made it to the end and that was worth it because here's my takeaway, you know.
1: Not that you watch this, but everyone's upset about Game of Thrones because of the ending, right? Because we went through all of this great storytelling and then it went, bleh. Well, that's the thing in
2: Seinfeld, the ending in that. I remember right. the that ending in awful. Friends was right. terrible. Like, you, you know, you feel like you deserve a little bit better.
1: Right. Um, so, but you're taking all these things. So again, you know, what scenes you have, which of course have to relate to the theme. Um, what's the question that's going to drive the story? Where's the climax? What's it really about? Where does it end? And they're helping you figure out where the beginning is. It's not like any one one thing maybe what drives your beginning, but it's all you, you need all that stuff so that you can sort of figure out where's the where's the point A. Where's where's the good good place to go.
2: Exactly. I mean, and and this isn't really throat clearing. I mean, it might feel like that, but it really is an exercise that I don't like to outline, but this is like the closest thing of of like sort of, I guess it's more like mapping, you know, like, but really a chance for me to, to kind of digest my own information before I try to I haven't told her yet
1: that this is actually outlining. Yeah. But (laughs) she'll figure it out at some point that this is actually what she's doing. But (laughs)
2: you're going to make it less
1: fun. (laughs) But no, these are these are the puzzle pieces. Right. I mean, to me, this is the fun. This is the fun part. You kind of try to figure out what do we really have here and what. um, So and. Yes, people obsess always about the beginning and I and I, I hear that logic. You know, you want to get people in on a good moment, but so but what is the best moment? Is you know, do you really wanna set the question in right there or does, is the question that's gonna drive it gonna come in the second section? Or do you have this scene that really just speaks to it and it's gonna echo well with the ending or
2: you know. Right? Do you want to make something, some kind of declarative statement, or do you want to draw people in slowly? I always think about how much background do I want to give them in that opening. You know, do I want to just drop them in the middle of a desert, or do I want to like walk them out when their camel dies? You know, like I think it it helps me figure out like how how far to back up. You know, before I start,
1: I'd like to know what story that was. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so okay, so everybody, you're going to have your five. You're going to answer these five questions before you start writing, and before you start thinking about your beginning of your story. But then Lane has these suggestions about uh, five what she calls foolproof paths to the first sentence, and they are things that you would recognize, as in the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why, right? So so we'll start with the who, and you talk about how this works and what you're thinking and how, 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 that, how that process. What's yeah, the I, who on a beginning?
2: I read like uh, probably 200 beginnings when I was trying to put this talk together, and then all of a sudden I had this epiphany of like, well, most of them are just the same five questions that we ask the W questions. It's just figuring out which W do you want to start on, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to start on a how. I did play with
1: that a little <laughs> bit, but it's kind of hard to start on a how.
2: But any of those other five. I Maybe mean,
1: a science story could start on a how. I could but start yes. on a okay. how. And Or it
2: could lead to, I, I mean, I think more that, that the how is the engine for those stories, mm. right? The how is what you want to leave people wondering about in, in some of those stories. Right. So I, I think, you know, I was thinking about almost any story you're writing, whether it's a, a car crash or a city council, you could play with each one of those. You could go, what if I started with the who? What if I started with the where? You know? and right. And I think that's maybe a first step for people who were totally stuck about where to start. So... The Who, I think that's my favorite one, actually. Like, start with a really strong character, somebody who's doing something, somebody who's thinking about something, somebody who's worrying or wondering about something. And then you set up, all of a sudden, you've connected your reader to that person. Um, You're in their head. You're in their heart. Or even if you're just watching them do something. I mean, I think... The story about the old man who swept up the seafood factory—it was just a a, a kind of a faraway scene. It It was was a who, though—a who of Mister Newton swish, swishing across the parking lot, sweeping up shrimp shells, Um, and but uh, wanting people to connect with this old man and wonder, you know, why he was out there or what he was doing. I love this approach, though. Who, what, where? I never thought of it that way. I hadn't either till I read all of those, and I'm like, this is pretty easy and obvious. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's kind of a process anybody can go through, you know. Right. It, even if you're on deadline, it takes five minutes to go through five different possibilities with your material. So
1: you could take, you've answered those five questions, and so you've, you've got a good bead on what you have as a story. And then, like you're saying, then you take it and you approach it each of these ways. So mm-hmm. the who, wh- the character. It right, does that is there a great beginning with this character in introducing this character,
2: right? And is, is are you introducing them in a scene
1: where something's happening,
2: right. or are you just introducing them by description or idea of who this person is? You know, um, I, I think you have to give people enough to want to have them either connect, you know, say, "Oh, I know somebody like that," or "I've seen some guy like that," or say, "Like, holy cow, I've never heard of anybody like that." Yeah. You know, who could yeah, that be? How how strange can they be? Um, so yeah, this is pretty, it sounds very simple, but I think it's very brilliant. Catherine Boo in the Washington Post wrote a story um, and it, it basically started, Elroy lives here, tiny, half blind, mentally retarded, 39-year-old Elroy. And then she steps back and takes you, you walk to his room in this group home. But I mean, it's- It's a great investigative narrative, actually, it, that story. And, yeah, And it's a brilliant, simple as can be beginning, Elroy lives here. Right, you know, it kind of harkens to that. Who would stop reading after that, yeah. And it's giving you just enough to get you interested, you know. And then the what? So, yeah, the what, something just happened or something's about to happen. Um, I try to think about what's at stake. Um, You know, that goes back to the overarching question, you know, about what's the story really about. Um, But a a summary Mm is not Sorry, summarization of the story. Um, You know, what what I'm going to take you down, you guys, to witness here. um, What's at stake for the character? What's at stake for the...
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Community or the world, um, and maybe it's just a really, really tiny moment. Like, are you going to get the letter in the mail that day? You know, it doesn't have to be huge. Um, but, but what is it that we're waiting for or that we want the reader to hang on for? um, to make them wonder about. And, uh, Tom French, this is the story that actually made me want to be a narrative writer was Tom French's angels and demons that won the Pulitzer prize, I think 1998. Um, and this is his beautiful opening. One year had gone by since the murders and then another and not the investigate. And now the investigators were deep into a third. So it's basically saying what's at stake, they haven't solved these damn murders.
1: Yeah, we were about to read about an unsolved murder. Yeah. Yeah, It's very simple, you know, but it is, it's the what, it's like, yeah.
2: And and it, it doesn't really introduce any characters, but you know someone's been murdered, and you know these investigators are still trying. And so I think that's just enough to get you in, you know. The rest of the lead's beautiful, too, by the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as is Catherine Boo's story, by the way. Yeah, so if, you have, like, if you're a student of craft, those are two great examples to go look up and read. Um, where, the where, you're talking about setting a scene, zooming in tightly, or panning out, taking people somewhere.
2: Yeah, I always think about this as like the Steinbeck beginning. You know, all of John Steinbeck's novels start with this really incredible sense of place. Um, he actually usually, you know, ends up somehow harkening back to the dinosaur age, right. you know, like this grain of sand that came under this triceratops foot that led this field in the middle of Iowa, you know. Um, so I think, you know, a scene, a scene can be a, as epic as you want. It can be like, like, drone footage you know what I mean like you're you're overarching this whole big moment or it can be the corner of a prison cell where the the mouse has just climbed in you know like mm-hmm. something really tiny um I, I want to be able to transport readers to that place uh no matter where it is so I'm, I'm also often thinking about scenes like with Sensory details. Can you smell something? Can you taste something? Um, can you feel something in the dark or whatever? We, we know you're going to hear something. We know you're going to see something. But And, and I think people, r- reporters are pretty uh, cognizant about getting those things into your stories. But the sensory details, too, I think are really transportive for a lot of people. Um, we might have talked to this with about this with John Pendergraft, a photographer who I love working with. But he watched like a hundred openings of movies, and he said, like ninety five percent of them are a sense of place. like it's it transports people there. So I, I think that's a really effective way to start,
1: yeah. I mean, it's like a lot well, a lot of things that you movies, books you read, you, you get grounded. You, you kind of know where you are and then right you go it takes there. you there.
2: so you picked out an example? Um, yeah so this was from our friend bjorn Nord who writes in Norway he did a story um, about a, a rescue after a skiing accident and this is started co- it's called five feet under the avalanche has swept over the whole skiing party the white waves came hurtling down from the grassland mountain near Haggasta south central Norway right. so we don't know Norway or where it is but all of a sudden we're out there with an avalanche and a skiing party is buried and I mean I think that that gives you, when the white waves came hurtling down. This, there's action in there at the same time.
1: I like that all three of those examples, there's tension right away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very quick. But there's a little bit, of a hint of tension in almost every in everything so far that we read.
2: And I like how he makes it in present tense. It has swept. It's like you're out there with the skiers still. Yeah. It's not, it happened in the past. Which was purposeful,
1: because he was trying to keep you there in that moment. Right. Yeah. Uh, the when? Yeah, the, I mean, I think
2: the, for that, you can be as um, esoteric or specific as you wanted. You know, my sons tease me because I like watching murder shows and almost all of the murder shows start with on the third day of January, 1997 on a cold winter morning in Chicago. You know, almost all of them start with that with like a specific date and time and, and usually a place. Um, I think you can also be really generic, you know, a long, long time ago or way back in the day or people don't remember, but, you know, and so it can be either super specific or super generic. Um, I like to ask when I'm writing a story, usually I ask my people like, where did you think this all started? You know, this, Mm -hmm. this whole, the murder didn't start when you picked up the knife. The murder started 10 years ago when your wife cheated on you or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, you know, so asking your subjects where it started sometimes helps me figure out where to start it.
1: And that point in time. Can be anywhere on that timeline. You're just you're just saying one possible beginning is to pick a point in time and and let that be your start. Exactly. Yeah. And and you
2: know, I, th- I think my inclination is to pick a really specific point in time, but I also think it's real effective to just go years and years ago or back in the day right. when nobody you know, like that kind of a throwaway. Like
1: either. yeah. Okay, so Lane wanted to pick the beginning of John Hershey's Hiroshima. Which, so I I said I wanted to read this because I'm a freak when it comes to this book. I love this man's book. And um, I'm reading from my copy from the Norfolk Public Library, and I didn't steal it. I bought it at a book sale. Um. Well, let me ask you quick. (laughs) This, This book for me
2: was so transportive because it was the first time I realized a novel had been reported.
1: Exactly, Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: that it wasn't just someone making it up off of their head. It was like the most incredibly rich reporting I'd ever read. And it read like a novel. And it the, reads like a
1: novel. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, people, the great narrative writers are great reporters. I mean, yes, you may have, as Lane does, you know, a wonderful way as a storyteller. But when you're writing nonfiction, I mean, it all comes down to what you've been able to collect and the information that you have. And I just thought the way that John Hershey put this book together and, and the detail that he came back with was just brilliant. And I mean, imagine dropping into another country and making these kind of connections with sources and all of that. But well, there's a
2: really interesting article in the New Yorker this week, I guess someone's just done a, um, a new biography about John Hersey and, and it talked about how this wasn't just innovative for the way he reported and told it, but because he did what you're always talking about, he zagged when other people zigged. Yes, exactly. No one had written about the victims. No one had thought about right. the dead Japanese it was like, yay, we killed a bunch of Japanese people. You know, that was the narrative of our country at that time was like, hooray, right. they're dead, right. you know, and he went in to tell the stories of the dead. And the other thing I didn't realize was um, his parents were missionaries And so he started out two of his five characters that you're going to read about are priests. Right. And he started out with clergy because that's who he knew to be drawn to, which I thought was fascinating too.
1: So the when uh, in John Hershey's story is right as the atomic bomb is hitting Hiroshima, which is, um, I mean, you can't get more attention than than that moment, right? Um, At exactly 15 minutes past eight in the morning on August 6th, 1945, Japanese time, at the moment when the atomic bomb flashed above Hiroshima, Miss Toshiko Shoshaki, a clerk in the personnel department of the East Asia Tin Works, had just sat down at her place in the plant office and was turning her head to speak to the girl at the next desk. At the same moment, Dr. Masuku Fuji was settling down cross legged to read the Osaka Ashahi on the porch of his private hospital, overhanging one of the seven deltaic rivers which divide Hiroshima. Mrs. Hatsuo Nakamura, a tailor's widow, stood by the window kitchen, watching a neighbor tearing down his house because it lay in the path of an air raid defense fire lane. Father Wilhelm Kleinsorge, a German priest of the Society of Jesus, reclined in his underwear on a cot on the top floor of his order's three-story mission house, reading a Jesuit magazine, Stimmen der Watt. Dr. Tarafumi Sasaki, a young member of the surgical staff of the city's large modern Red Cross Hospital, walked along one of the hospital's corridors with a blood specimen for a Wasserman test in his hand. And the Reverend Mr. Kiyoshomi Tanimoto, pastor of the Hiroshima Methodist Church, paused at the door of a rich man's house in Koi, the city's western suburb, and prepared to unload a handcart full of things he had evacuated from town in fear of the massive B-29 raid which everyone expected Hiroshima to suffer. a 100,000 people were killed by the atomic bomb, and these six were among the survivors. They still wonder why they lived when so many others died. Each of them counts many small items of chance or volition, a step taken in time, a decision to go indoors, catching one streetcar instead of the next that spared him. And now each knows that in the act of survival, he lived a dozen lives and saw more death than he ever thought he would see. At the time, none of them knew anything. That's brilliant. It's That's just so brilliant. Amazing. And I mean, like the detail, um, to get that kind of detail out of people and to seize that as that moment. I and mean. he's
2: got all those pieces. He's got the win—is is for the same, the same for everybody. But everybody's in a different place. Right. He puts everybody in a different place. Five, six different characters. So you got six different who's. And then what? They were all doing something completely different and unrelated. I just, I love but how he wove all totally this together. It's totally the win. It's totally the win Absolutely. at that moment. At here's that moment. what's happening. There's the, a book that I love too called um, Let the Great World Spin. And he start, it's about the guy who wrote, who walked the tightrope between the Twin Towers back yeah. in the day. And it starts out almost exactly like that. Like everybody in the whole city is looking at this one speck. In the middle of the sky at this one moment, but then he kind of takes you out to what each of the people's lives are who are bringing that to the moment. It's right. it's a lovely way to do it.
1: All right, and number five is the why. Uh, you say you say it's the most powerful engine to engage readers. Pose a question, offer insight.
2: Right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's sometimes it's the hardest one to get people in on, but um, it the why is is the thing. That's least obvious, I guess. So it's 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 more intriguing, I think, um, if you can do it right, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get readers to care about how this came about or what's going to happen, you know, next. Um, drop you pose a question at the top, but then you can use hints and gold coins along the way, you know, to follow that up. And Tom, Tom French talks about like dropping breadcrumbs to follow, you know, for the readers to follow like that. Um, so this was from C.J. Chivers of the New York Times. He won the Pulitzer Prize for this story, uh, and the beginning is opens like a movie to me. Like, w- why Sam Ciotta was deep in a tequila haze, so staggeringly drunk that he would later say he retained no memory of the crime he was beginning to commit. So you have
1: no like, idea what the crime what? is or where it is or
2: whatever, what? but but why? He was pretty drunk. <laughs>
1: All of these, like, they can't, they compel you to keep reading. They just compel you to keep reading. But the why is tough. But the why can be really, really captivating if it's done the right way. Absolutely. Okay, so next week on the ne- on Wednesday morning when we have our podcast, we're going to have another part of this conversation because Lane has even more advice on starting stories. So in the meantime, if you have a question for Lane or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at com. But again, join us next week because we'll keep talking about story beginnings. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.